0: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome again to the book of Job, where we're in chapter 2 here at North Coast Church. Job chapter 2, when there is nothing left but God. Job chapter 2. So without any hesitation, I'm going to read Job chapter 2. I do. Please hit pause and go and grab your Bible or switch your phone on. Uh, Make sure you have it in front of you. Uh, Job chapter 2. I'll read it. I'll pray. And we'll jump into it together. Job chapter 2 from verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you have incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. All that a man has, he will give for his life. Stretch out your hand, touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to him, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Let's pray. Father, please reveal yourself to us. Our entire lives, we will keep reducing you to our size. We will constantly keep thinking you're just like us. Our temptation will be to squeeze you Into what we think you should be. And how you ought to behave. And when we come to your word. We want to tremble. We want to repent. We want to listen. We want to let you speak on your own terms. And reveal yourself to us. As you really are. However uncomfortable. It might make us feel. Show us. Your glory, Father. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here are some words from a song. I think you'll remember them very well. And I'm sorry if I put the tune in your head. Because you'll probably hum this all day. But uh, here goes. Some words from a, a song I think you'll remember. I will do anything for love. I'll run right into hell and back i will do anything for love but i won't do that no i won't do that did you see me holding back and not trying to hum the tune but there you go i will do anything for love i'll run right back into hell sorry right into hell and back i'll do anything for love but i won't do that no i won't do that meatloaf, if, if you want to know. Well, if there's one thing this song says, it's that everyone has their limits. I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. Everyone has their limits. There is a limit to everything, right? Nothing is infinite. And those of you who are really awake and had a number of cups of coffee, you will know that's an oxymoron. Nothing is infinite. But here's a real question. Does love have limits? I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. Does love have limits? And I suspect most people will say, well, of course it does. Of course love has limits. Do you know why we think like that? Here's why we think like that. Because for most people, love is a contract. And what's a contract? A contract is an arrangement for goods and services. It's a bargain struck for mutual benefit. That's what love is. It's it's when two people struck a bargain for mutual benefit. Isn't that what love is? I'll love you as long as you behave. I'll love you as long as you do this or that. I will always love you as long as you, you, you can see the contradiction, right? right? I will love you as long as you are like this. And you know what? Because I'm such a good person, I'm willing to forgive you a few times. In fact, I'm willing to forgive you lots of times. I'm not sure about 77 times 7. I don't know who said that, but that seems a bit much for me. But I, you know what? I'm such a loving person. I'm willing to let it go. But you need to know there comes a time where it's too far. You know, there's a limit, you know. Nothing lasts forever, and we both know hearts can change. At some point, love dries up, there are limits. You know, I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. So, is there such a thing as limitless, unconditional love? Is there such a thing? How about this? The Bible says, God is love. What kind of love is God? God is love. What kind of love is that? Is it limited? Well, all religions teach that God, God's love is limited. All religions teach that God's love is just like our love. Oh, look, it's it's better, it's deeper, it's longer, it's stronger. But fundamentally, God loves just like us. Love is a reward for good behavior. If you be good, God will love you. If you be good, God will accept you. See, he loves just like us. If you be bad, God will stop loving you. You have to earn his love by obeying him. See, many religions teach, all religions teach, that God's loves just like ours. What about our love for God? Is our love for God a bargain struck for goods and services? Is that what our love for Him is like? So we will love God if He performs in a certain way. If God does certain things. If He meets our expectations, then we'll love Him. If He's kind of predictable, you know, what you put in is what you get out. If He does all that, we'll love Him. Now, uh, because we are so wonderful, uh, we'll still love God if we suffer you know, a little bit, uh, you know, because we're nice and, and we're very kind and we'll put up with God if he, if he doesn't do what we want him to do, you know, and, and we'll even love him when we suffer. But there are limits, you know. If we suffer beyond our fair share, or whatever that is, if we suffer beyond our fair share, well then, God will turn out to be Who I didn't think he was. And I'm not sure I will love him. Anymore. So. Is there anybody. Anyone. Ever. A human being who loved God. Limitlessly. Unconditionally. Someone who loved God. Not for any gain. But loved God. For God's sake. Is God lovable by himself? Or must he come bringing gifts? Gold, frankincense, or you know, whatever. Must God come with gifts? Or is God lovable by himself? Well, so far, as we've gone through the book of Job, it looks like Job could be that guy. It looks like Job could be that guy. And what we're going to see today is three tests that Job is going to go through. Actually, last time we looked in Job chapter 1, Job went through a number of tests. See, how will you ever know if you love someone? In a marriage, how will you know if you really love each other? Friends, even friends, how will they know if they love each other? The answer is when you get tested. It's easy to look like you love God. It's easy to look like you love your husband. It's easy to look like you love your children. Put all of that through testing times. Then you will know if the love is real. And Job is being tested. And today, in Job chapter 2, he's going to go through three more tests. And I've got them all for you on the screen. Very simple, not complicated. Number one, Job still worshipped God After experiencing extreme loss for no reason, Job still worshipped God after experiencing extreme loss for no reason. Look with me at Job chapter 2, verse 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. Remember, Every living creature, good or bad, Satan too, answers to God. Everyone. Uh, You see them all come before God and present themselves before. Just like water runs down to the ocean. So every living creature returns to its source, God. Every living thing will turn back to the source of all life. Who is God. God alone is the source of his own life. The rest of us derive life from God. And so here are the sons of God and Satan. And they all go back to the source and present themselves before God. And because God is the source of all life. Look at verse 2. The Lord said to Satan. From where have you come? Because God is the source of all life. Only God has life in himself. And he grants to us existence and life. Because he's the source of all life, he has the right to question everyone. And so there everyone appears before God and God asks them, Where have you been? Where have you come from? God has the right to ask. Now you need to know that of course God knows. Of course he knows But he's asking because we must answer to him. It's impossible to escape his questioning. It's so funny. You know, it's funny how us humans get everything wrong all the time. We humans think we have the right to ask God. But it's the other way around. Actually, God questions us. God asks the questions. You study the Bible. You think you go to the Bible with questions. I know you think this. But the truth of the matter is, the Bible asks you questions. The Bible searches our hearts, um, like it says in Hebrews. In fact, you know, as we've been working through the book of Job, I've received some very good feedback. But a lot of people are talking about the questions that are being raised. I'm not afraid of that. Uh, uh, The book of Job will raise questions. It will ask questions of you, heart probing questions. So here is God and all creatures present themselves to him and he asks the question. Here it is. From where have you come? And Satan uh, answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro through the earth and from walking up and down on it. And we saw this last week. What Satan is doing is he's prowling around like a roaring lion Seeking to prosecute or accuse God's people. That's what the word Satan means. It means accuser, uh, the opposer. And so he's looking to find fault with people so that he can turn God against people. That's what he does. That's his job. And that's what he's been doing. Look at God, verse 3. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Now I, I would like to rewrite the Bible. Because uh, I'm a sinner like everyone else. And I'd love verse 3 to say this. And God said, Job has suffered enough. Stop his suffering now. No. It gets worse. God says, have you considered my Job? God's setting the whole thing up again for more testing of Job. But the question is this. Is there any human being ever who loves God without limits? No matter what. Is there any such a person? And it looks like it's Job. Because after all the testing he's been through, look at what God says halfway through verse 3. He still holds fast his integrity. What is integrity? When your outside is the same as your inside. That's integrity. And you'll only ever know that when you go through testing. Everyone looks like they've got integrity until they go through testing. When you go through suffering and testing, that's when you'll see if there's a disparity between what's on the inside and what's on the outside. And so God says Job is still whole. He's the real deal. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. God took everything from Job. Uh, Have a look. Watch how Job's integrity comes through in chapter 1. Then, this is after everything's taken away from Job. Uh, Job chapter 1, 20 and 21. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground and worshipped. Worshipped. He said, Naked I've come from my mother's womb. Naked I will return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In other words, Job's response to this incredible suffering, having lost everything, is not stoicism. He doesn't go, Turn up, mate, turn up. It's not stoicism. It's not fatalism just put up with that you know you know such as life you know he doesn't do that it's not grin and bear it it's not even the penguin solution you know smile and wave boys it's none of that no look what he does blessed be the name of the lord he adores god he worships god he endorses whatever god does even if it hurts Now that all my money is gone, I can see the value of God more clearly. That's Job's response. Now that everything's gone, I can see God's value even more clearly. And he worships God. What really hurts is what God says at the end of verse 3. Look at what God says. Without reason. This is what makes suffering real. If you're suffering... But you know there's a reason for it. That reduces your suffering. Job's suffering is the worst because he doesn't know why. And even God says there's no reason for it. There's no reason for it. And yet, through it all, Job loves God truly from the heart. Not for what he can get out of it. Though he's lost everything. So what is Satan going to do? Well, have a look at verse 4. Here's what Satan says, I know, oh look, I've got to be honest with you, God, it does look like Job loves you. Uh, okay, so you're, you're winning that one. But you know there's limits to love. You know, there are limits. And stuff is only one thing. Hey, maybe Job is just not materialistic. There's, there's people in Africa who've got nothing and they love God. So maybe Job's just not materialistic. And so Satan sets Job up for test number two. First test, Job still worships God after experiencing extreme loss for no reason. Here's the second test. Job still worships God after experiencing extreme physical suffering. Have a look at verse 4 and 5. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. Stretch out your hand, touch his bone and his flesh. He will curse you to your face. What's the essence of the test? The essence of this test is life itself. Will Job love God? More than life itself. See, Satan is saying this. No human being truly loves you, God. No human being loves you. Because no human being loves you more than life itself. There's nobody like that. And Job's not like that. In fact, I can imagine Satan saying something like this. The thing about those human beings is that their health is the most important thing to them. Except for those who smoke and take alcohol. But, 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 but excuse me, you know, uh, for most human beings, the most important thing to them is health. They think their body is the most important thing. They think that their body is, is all that they have. In fact, most human beings think you only live once. And so they will never, never love God unless he preserves their body. God must give them health. God must heal them. God must pamper their body. Because if he touches that precious thing, they'll stop loving him. My health is my treasure. And God better love my treasure as much as I do. I reckon that's the kind of thing Satan is thinking. And so he comes to God and he says, all right, we've taken all his stuff, but he's still got his health. And that's the most important thing to people. Take that away and he won't love you anymore. And so what does God do? God says, oh no, I've promised him health, wealth, I I can't do. No, no, look at verse six. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand. And spare his life. Which is horrible. Because God says take all his health away and prolong his suffering. Don't let him die. Don't give him a piece. Make him suffer physically and don't let him die. Let him hang on. And of course as we've seen again and again Satan can only do what God allows. The Bible is absolutely clear on that. And so Satan goes to do what he's allowed to do, like a dog on a chain. He goes as far as the chain will allow. Verse 7, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Job took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. It's it's a horror look, it's a horrible story. This is an unsettling, uncomfortable story. Truth is like that sometimes. Let's pause and take stock. Here is Job. Let's just take stock. Here is Job. Faithful, righteous, blameless, innocent, a lover of God. He's destitute. He has lost everything. Bankrupt. Got nothing on this earth left. He's destitute. Number two. he's bereaved. All his children are dead. I know people who've lost a child. I've never met anyone who's lost all their children. Job lost all his children. He's got no photographs of them. Everything was destroyed. He didn't even have a chance to say goodbye. Destitute. Bereaved. Now he's got insane physical suffering. It's so bad he's cutting himself with broken pottery to ease the pain. Kind of like self-harming. He's in such exquisite agony. Why should he love God? Give me a reason why he should love God. What's left? Why should he love God? Every reason to love God is gone. Would you love God? What would you say to Job? Oh mate, mate. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. (laughs) And Job starts at minus 43 and goes to minus 44, minus 45. Why should he love God? And the big question is, will Job? Love God. Will he still love God? Is God still lovable? You read this up to this point. Do you think God is still lovable? No human being has ever loved God unconditionally. And just when you think. Okay. There are limits. It can't get worse. Actually. The biggest test. Is yet to come. Because there is one third And the worst test of them all. Job still worshipped God after experiencing extreme loss for no reason. Job still worshipped God after experiencing extreme physical suffering. Here's the third and the biggest test. Job still worshipped God after his wife tempted him to give up. Here is the worst Test of them all. Look with me at verse 9. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. You know, I mean, you all want to say she's bad. Well, maybe she is. But you just, what do you think her motives were? Maybe she couldn't deal with her husband's suffering, maybe she loved him couldn't deal with his suffering anymore. Wanted him to commit suicide. I don't know. But think about this a bit more. Think with me. Think about a man called Adam. Think about Adam. Adam was like Job. He had it all. Remember Job was the richest man in the East? Adam had it all. More cattle, more camels than Job. Adam was in paradise. But the opposite of Job... Is that Adam didn't lose a thing. He had everything. He never lost anything. Adam had every reason to love God. Adam had every reason to love God. And along comes his wife. His wife's name is Eve. And she comes to Adam and she says. Darling. Or sweetheart. Or whatever. I have found something. Something more beautiful than God. Something that God hasn't given you. It's called the forbidden fruit. I think you should take it. And you know what Adam did? Adam followed his wife. And Adam lost almost everything. Think of another guy. Think of a man called Solomon. Dwayne, what are you doing? I'm showing you what a test this really is. That no one passes this test. Think about Solomon. Solomon was like Job. He had it all. Job was the richest man in the east. Solomon was the richest man, period. The richest man in history. He had it all. Unlike Job, but just like Adam, he never lost a thing. He had all his riches. Solomon was the richest, smartest, wisest man in the world. He feared God and turned from evil. Solomon, just like Adam, had every reason to love God. And then his wives came to him. And they came to him and they said to him, Solomon, we have found something more beautiful than God. Worship these gods. And they led him astray. And Solomon, like Adam, obeyed his wife. And turned his heart from God and went after foreign gods. Like Adam, like Solomon, Job's wife comes to him. Verse 9. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? What's in your heart? See, here's what I'm trying to say. The way to a man's heart is not food. It's not food. It's women. It's women. What is more beautiful than women? What is more beautiful than women? You know, you go read the book of Genesis. You read Genesis chapter 2. God brings everything in front of Adam. Everything. The animals and the camels and the donkeys and the mountains and the rivers. God brings everything in front of Adam. And Adam goes, meh. I mean, it's nice. I mean, I also enjoy David Attenborough. I mean, it's, 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 it's good. It's nice. But then God brings a naked woman in front of Adam. And you read the Hebrew, Adam goes nuts. Nothing compares to this. It is paradise on two legs. It is the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. And he has the question. Is God even better than that? And that's what's going on here. Here comes his wife. God has taken everything from him. His everything. His health. He is an absolute state. And the most beautiful thing. The thing he loves the most. His wife comes to him. And tempts him to turn from God. Will he love God even more than that? Well, she tempts him to commit suicide. You know, curse God, die. You know, death isn't that bad. It's better than what you're going through. You know, isn't it? It's a better option than the exquisite suffering God is putting you through. And yet, what does Job do? And look at her temptation. Do you still hold fast your integrity, Job? Here's what she's saying. You have worshipped God. What has it got you? You've worshipped God all these years. What's it got you? Is God worth it? Is he worth it? No, I don't think so, says his wife. Commit suicide. Turn from God. Die. Give up on God. What tempts you to give up on God? Well, deep within you, What is more beautiful than God? What what do you want? So you worship God in order to get it. What is more valuable than God? Well, the astonishing thing, probably the surprisingest thing of all in this book of Job, is Job's response. Look what he does in the face of these three tests. Look at verse 10. But he said to her. You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this Job did not sin with his lips. It is an astonishing response. It, 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 it's mind blowing how much this Job. Loved God. Nothing would change his mind. Look at verse 10. You speak as one of the foolish women. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil from God? And don't don't you want to stop Job and go, No, Job, Job, you went to the wrong theological college. Mate, mate, mate. You got it all wrong, Job. Good comes from God. Get it? Evil comes from the devil. Job, you're going to the wrong church. Don't go to a church where they teach that God is in control of everything. Job, you got it all wrong. And yet Job says, shall we not receive good from God and receive evil from God? Now listen. Now, in one sense, it's true. Evil doesn't come directly from God. That is true. God didn't do these things to Job. It was the Sabaeans, if you read chapter 1. It was the Sabaeans who took his oxen, not God. It was the fire that took his sheep, not God. It was the Chaldeans who took his camels, not God. It was a cyclone that killed these children, not God. The ulcers, the weeping sores, all of that was from Satan, not God. All true, all true. But Job knows above them all sits God who is in control of everything. God has allowed all of this to happen. God is in control of everything. God started the whole thing. It was God who said to Satan, look at Job. It was God who gave permission to Satan to do all these things. See, what Job does is he sees through all the fiddly little secondary bits. He sees through to the center of the universe. Job's only concern is God. Job's problems are all with God. Job's dealings are all with God. God is at the center of Job's world. You read the book of Job. Never once does Job rebuke Satan. That's what the false teachers do in Jude. In the book of Jude, you will find false teachers always going around rebuking the devil. Job looks at God. Job's only concern is God because he knows God is in control of everything. Never once in the book of Job does Job even ask God to heal him. No way. He once God, for Job, God is at the center of the universe, controlling everything, even suffering. But more than that, even more than that, Job doesn't grind his teeth, grin, and bear it. Job worships God. He freely gives himself to God. Look at verse 10. I don't know how, think of this question. It's such a clever question. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive evil? Just think about that. Think how clever that question is. Listen to the shall we not. What's he saying? He's saying this. Why do you only question God when bad things happen? No one questions God when he gives them good things. That's what he's saying. Shall we not? Everything comes from God. How come we never question God when good things happen? So you wake up in the morning, like this morning, and it's a beautiful, crisp, fresh air day. Blue skies after the rain. It's crisp. The air is perfumed. It's fresh. How come you don't go, why, God? How could you let this happen? No one does that when it's good. Or you wake up in the morning and your arms can move. Your legs can move. Your body's yeah, it's not beautiful. Well, it's okay. You're reasonably healthy. I can make myself a cup of coffee or, or stay in bed if I want to. You know, my you know, how come you wake up in reasonable health and you don't go, why God? How could you do this to me? You know? And that's what Job's saying. Why do we receive the good things from God? But we don't receive the bad. It's all one source. It's one God. Job knew everything comes from God and he worshipped God irrespective of the bad. And so look what he says at the end of verse 10. Shall we receive good from God? Shall we not receive evil? And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Was there ever a human being Who loved God limitlessly, unconditionally, without sin. It sure looks like it's Job in all this. Look at the end of verse 10. Job did not sin with his lips. Job comes close. But as we go through the book of Job, what you're going to find out is later on in the book of Job, he does go too far. And I believe he does sin. With his lips later on. And we'll come to that uh, uh, when we get there. So, is there a human being? Was there a human being who loved God limitlessly, unconditionally, without sin, and who then obviously earned his place in God's company forever? Yes. There was such a. It wasn't Job. There was such a human being. His name was Jesus. And he was tested in every way. Worse than these three tests. He was tested in every way. And yet, without sin. Think about that man, Jesus. Think as he hung on that cross. In exquisite torture. He can't even scrape himself with pottery because his hands are nailed down to a cross. He's deserted by everyone. Everyone. He's taunted by everyone. He's mocked by everyone. His closest companions have betrayed him like Judas. Those who went a little bit further, those who said they loved him, have disowned him, like Peter. And like Job, he's absolutely innocent as he hangs on that cross. And yet, still, he loves God. Still. He hangs on that cross and he doesn't cry out, My God, my God, why am I suffering? That's not his cry. He doesn't hang on that cross and go, My God, My God, where are my clothes? That's not his cry. Or, my God, my God, heal me now. That's not his cry. In fact, you know what isn't his cry? Now I know there's no God. Suffering proves that there's no God. That's not what he cries. Jesus hangs on that cross and he cries, My God, my God. And listen to the language. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Where are you? It's you I want. It's you I love. Who put Jesus on the cross? Who put Jesus on the cross? The Sabaeans? The Chaldeans? Satan? Who put Jesus on the cross? Who made Jesus suffer? Pontius Pilate? No. The Bible teaches that behind all of those little things is the God of the universe. And it was God himself who put Jesus on the cross. God so loved the world, he gave his son to die. See, I've been asking this question this whole sermon long. I've been saying to you, was there ever a human being who loved God limitlessly and unconditionally? I've been asking that question this whole sermon long. But you know what? It's actually not that important a question. He has the deeper, more profound, infinitely more important question. Does God love us limitlessly? Unconditionally. That's a more important question. Does God have limits? Is His love like our love? And when you look at the cross and you see His innocent Son given for you, then you know there are no limits to God's love. There are no conditions on God's love. There were no limits to God's love when he sent Jesus to die. And does God love his people any less today than when Jesus hung on that cross? Does he love you any less today? Never. Never. His love is limitless and unconditional. So let's go back to our song. I will do anything for love. I'll run right into hell and back. You know God can sing that. I don't know if he, I don't think the tune's great. But he can sing that song. Because God did that. I will do anything for love. Even sacrifice my son. I'll run right into hell and back. Jesus went to the place of the dead. Jesus experienced hell on the cross. But there's another line. But I won't do that. And that's a line God won't sing. Now we know there is nothing God's love won't do for us. Nothing. He who didn't, Romans 8, he who didn't spare his only son. How will he not give us all the other stuff? How do you feel about all of this? I know, I've been chatting to people over the week. I know that the book of Job raises questions. And, and I just want to tell everyone, be patient. I'm happy you have questions. Wait. Because the book of Job is that we just started. you know. But how does this make you feel? Does it make some of you angry? You look at God like, you know, oh, well, that's it. I, I just don't want to live in a world where God is like this. If that's your response and you're angry, well, I, you know, I guess you can make up your own God. You know, you, you, But just know that if you make up your own God, um, like the tooth fairy, he won't exist. You know, no one can make up reality. But perhaps that's not your response. I suspect your response will be fear. I'm afraid. Because I read this and I just hope this won't happen to me. I don't want this to happen to me. Well, be brave because I'm going to tell you something. This is going to happen to every single one of us. Yep, every single human being is going to be stripped of everything. All that you have and all that you are will be taken from you sooner or later. Now, in God's kindness, for most of us, it's a gradual process. It's a gradual process. So your hearing starts going first of all. Actually, you lose your hair uh, first of all. You lose your hair. Then your hearing starts going. Your teeth start getting weaker. Your movement is not as great as it used to be. You're starting to be a little bit limited. Whereas once before you could go to the fair and ride those rides. Now, I can't do it anymore. A little bit more aches. A little bit more pain. You do a bit of gardening on Tuesday. On Wednesday. You feel it more than you used to. Your sight. Start needing glasses and then stronger. What? Gradually, gradually. Your health is being taken from you. Everything you have. And then you get frailer and frailer. Pain becomes your constant companion. When you're in your 20s, very seldom do you live with pain. When you're in your 70s and 80s, pain's normal. And then your toys, the things you have, become less pleasurable. You don't love the, When you're 80, you don't love your surfboards like you used to. Your toys. And then you start downsizing your house. You start contracting. No longer expanding. Finally you end up in a room. One room. A frail care facility. And then some sickness. Some virus. Call it COVID-19 or whatever you want. Comes along. You die. And you lose everything. Everything was stripped away for it. And the only thing that remains, <laughs> the only question that remains, will you die cursing God? Like Job's wife said he should. Well, God, if that's the way you're going to treat me, I'm going to die without anything and without you. That's the choice most Australians make. Most Australians die cursing God. And so they die without anything. Can't take anything with you. And they die without God. Job shows us a better way. We will lose everything. But we never, ever have to lose God. And we never have to lose his love. And so on that day when we die and we stripped of everything, we will still have the God we love. It can never be taken from us. And the God we love, sublime joy, is the God who loves us. Who gave his son to die for us. The book of Job is challenging us to love God only. And to love him for no benefits, no gain, but just for him alone. Keep loving God until God is all you have. And it will be enough. It'll be everything you could have ever hoped for. Well, I'm going to pray... And uh, next time we'll pick it up Uh, from here on. We're not going to look at everything in every chapter like we did in chapter 1 and 2. Because they set up the book. Uh, We'll pick little excerpts as we go along in the book of Job. But in the meantime, let me pray. Father, we can only imagine what Job went through. Most of us are experiencing the test of prosperity. But we will all suffer. We'll all lose things. Please will you give us hearts that love you limitlessly, unconditionally. That love you just for who you are. For your great love for us. In giving Jesus for us. In his name we pray. Amen.